If you want to find your place in your Bible at the Revelation. So let me take a few moments and sort of set this up if I can. I have written a book on the Revelation. I have it here in front of me. My intended purpose, once we have finished this study, which is going to be my last read-through of all of these notes, is to have it published and then to make it available for people who would like to have a copy. And all three of you, I'm sure, will enjoy having one. (laughs) I want to say a special thank you to Jeremy Schaefer and to Mary Lemming. In 2020, when we weren't able to have the services we were normally having, they have been working with me to proofread this book. I don't know if you've ever done a proofreading for a, for a publication or not, but it ain't easy. They have read this, I don't know, uh, numerous times, each time going through looking for different things that have to be corrected, different things that have to be uh, added, um, correcting my theology. <laughs> no, that's Mary. That's not Jeremy. Um, <clears throat> correcting my theology. And uh, all that is left is this last read-through. I'm not going to read through my notes, by the way, to you for this study. But all that's left is the last read-through of these notes, and then to put an introduction and some things, and then an addendum that has to go at the end of the book, about 250 pages or so, on the Revelation. And God willing, if enough of you are interested, when we finish the study of the Revelation, I'm, I'm going to have this printed and going to have it made available to you. And uh, you can take it home with you. I will tell you that this study of the Revelation is my interpretation of the Revelation. In other words, what I have in this book and what we're going to be talking about on Sunday evenings, I'm not going to give you every scholarly opinion about every little thing that comes along. That's a valuable thing to do. And some of you like that kind of information. And some of you read like that. You read that scholarly information. And that's important for a pastor to know. It's important for a teacher to know. It's important for a professor to know. Those are important things to know. But I have taken all of that information and I have brought it all down so that what's in this book and what I'm going to be teaching over the coming weeks is what I believe is the correct interpretation of the book of Revelation. You can disagree with me if you wish. Everyone has a right to be wrong. And um, you can disagree with me if you wish, and that's okay. But what you won't find in the book is every opinion from every scholar about what this could be or what it might be or what they say it is or, you know, every argument that's there. Uh, I believe the Bible is inspired. I believe it uh, is inerrant. I believe it was given to us by God. Um, And I believe we take the Word of God and we approach it and learn everything that it has to say. Obviously, sometimes we come down in different ways on certain things that are secondary in nature, and there's some aspects of the Revelation where we might come down a little different to one another when we study through those passages, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, Don't come running up to me after the service and say, oh, no, no, you're wrong about that. Trust me. I've been through uh, all of those scholarly articles and uh, subjects related to what you're trying to inform me about, unless there's something brand new. And we learned this morning there's nothing new under the sun. (laughs) Some of you don't remember this morning either, do you? (laughs) Um, 
so what I've done is I've condensed it into a simple read of an interpreting of the book of Revelation. And I want to say thank you to Jeremy Schaefer and I want to say thank you to my wife who have endlessly for the last 15 months uh, been reading this book. How many times have you, you read it through, honey? Four or five times she's read it through. Jeremy's read it through. Jeremy laid it out for me. And uh, I, I just want to say thank you to them. I'll say thank you to them in the book when uh, I get to that place. Mary just said, make sure my name is before his. That's all she said that was important. She make sure that her name was mentioned first. But uh, beyond that, uh, I'm going to make this available to you after uh, the study. And so we're going to begin tonight with an introduction. <clears throat> I'm not going to get into the text of Revelation chapter 1 until the 27th. We'll start in chapter 1, verse 1, uh, on the 27th. But tonight we're going to get into an introduction uh, to the book of Revelation and going to talk about some of the things that are important for us to know about the Revelation. And we're going to begin by talking about seven reasons why we ought to study and read the Revelation. You know, some of you have never read the Revelation. Some of you are afraid to read the Revelation. Some of you have read the Revelation and you skim read it because you're afraid of what it says. It's almost like watching a horror movie. You're afraid to read it because you're afraid you'll be scared all night long and you won't be able to sleep all night long. And so you, you sort of skip over the book of Revelation. But as I said a few minutes ago, I believe all of the Bible from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 is inspired by God and given to us by God. I believe it's inerrant in the original manuscripts. And the reality is that we ought to study it and we ought to come to know this book because it's very important. It is about the future. It is about how things are going to end. And everybody, right, if you're reading in a book, wants to know how the story ends before you get to the end of the story. How many of you are reading a novel or reading some kind of a book? Uh, you, you skip to the last chapter and you read out of the last chapter before you ever come to the beginning chapters. How many of you do that? You're kidding me. <laughs> if you're reading a mystery, you don't want to see who's, who's really the guilty party before you read through the book, then maybe I'm the only nut in the room. <laughs> I, I want to know how it ends. I've got good news for you. And in the end, we win. The world is not as God intended it to be. God created it in the beginning, placed Adam and Eve in it, intended for them to take care of the earth, uh, to tend it, to be good stewards of it. But they were tempted. She was tempted. Uh, Adam directly disobeyed God and plunged all of mankind and all of creation itself under the curse of sin. And when you start reading through the rest of the Bible, you find this unfolding plan of God working out his redemption for mankind. And that redemption reaches its high point in the person of Jesus Christ, in his birth, his, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension back to heaven, in the salvation that he makes possible. But then it continues and it says there's coming a day, there's going to be not, not an old sin-cursed earth, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And in the new heaven and in the new earth, there isn't going to be any of the things that we are so familiar with that are the result of living in a sin-cursed world. A man called me last uh, night, uh, yesterday, 
not last night, but yesterday afternoon. Uh, actually, I called him uh, yesterday afternoon because I had heard that his nephew, coming on the other side of Charleston hydroplane, was thrown out of his car. The car rolled over him and killed a 20-something-year-old man instantly. Obviously, he was devastated. This young man's brother died of cancer a couple of years ago, and the father of both of these boys is battling cancer at this very moment. And I called the man, and I had a conversation with him to try to encourage him. You don't really know what to say in those kind of situations. You don't really offer cliches. You basically say, I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm here to be a friend to you. If I can help you some way, please, if you need a shoulder to cry on, you need an ear to listen, I want you to know I'm here to do that for you. That's basically what you do. You don't offer simple answers because you don't know all of those simple, you know, you don't know all of those answers, period, simple or complex. You don't know them. But why are there tragedies? That was the question in his mind. Why are there these tragedies? Because we live in a sin-cursed world. But the revelation tells us that there's a day that's coming when there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and sin as we know it and we have to deal with it on a regular basis will not be present. And in that day, it's going to be what God wanted the earth to be in the beginning before Adam and Eve sinned. And just imagine the beauty and the majesty and the glory of what Eden would have been like had they not fallen and been kicked out of the garden. And God's got a place that he's going to uh, give to us the new heaven and the new earth that the revelation reveals to us. And so my point is that we ought to study the revelation because it, it tells us, it's, it's in the Bible, it tells us about what God is doing, it tells us about what's, what's going to happen in the end, that God is going to set everything right in the future. So let's just talk about seven reasons why we should study the revelation. Number one, we should study because God commands us to study his word in its entirety. God commands us to study his word in its entirety. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 15 says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let me ask you a question. Is the revelation a part of the inspired scripture? Yes. Is the revelation inerrant as is the rest of the Bible? Yes. Does God command us to study just the Old Testament? No. Does he command us just to study the gospels? No. Does he command us just to study the epistles? No. He commands us to rightly divide the word of God, every part of the word of God. I realize some parts of the Word of God are more applicable than other parts of the Word. I mean, when you're reading through Chronicles and you're reading all those, na those names, those long list of names that you can't pronounce and I can't pronounce, you know, that's not as applicable as some other parts of the Bible. But every part of the Bible is important, and we are responsible to rightly divide the Word of truth. And God commands us to study His Word in its entirety. Therefore, we should study the Revelation. Number two, we should study it because Jesus is the centerpiece of Revelation. I'm glad to be able to tell you that Jesus is all over the pages of your Bible. Sometimes he's in the symbols, sometimes he's in the types, he's in the Old Testament temple, he's in the Old Testament tabernacle, he's in, he's in the Old Testament sacrifices, everything, if you look at it, 
uh, through types and through symbols, you can see the person of Jesus, that God was working toward the day when Jesus would come into the world. And when you get to the revelation, it's no different. Jesus is the centerpiece. You know where Jesus is in chapters 2 and 3 when you look at the seven churches? Jesus is in the middle of the churches. Did you know that? Jesus is in the middle of the churches. Uh, when you get to those heavenly scenes where you're looking beyond this earth and beyond the judgments, do you know who we're seeing? We're seeing Jesus worship. People falling on their faces before him, casting their crowns at his feet because he alone is worthy of the praise and the glory and the majesty and the honor. Jesus is the centerpiece. Listen, he is our savior. He gave his life for us. And we want to see him on the pages of our Bible, every aspect of our Bible. And in Revelation, we see him as the centerpiece. Uh, we should study the book of Revelation because God promises a blessing and he offers a warning about the book of Revelation. I, I do want you to look at chapter 1, verse 3 with me for a moment. And notice what he says. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. What did he say? If you read it, you hear it and you obey it, he says, you'll be what? You'll be blessed. Hey, that makes it worth reading, doesn't it? I mean, that's true of any part of the Bible. Listen to Revelation 22, verse 7. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. Or, or listen to chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Wow. Not only are there blessings that are pronounced on those who read this book and obey what it says, he says there's also discipline for those who read it and don't obey it or who read it and try to change it. Do you realize how important that, how awe-inspiring that is uh, when you're trying to interpret the revelation? <laughs> Lord, I, I don't want to be taken away from the book of life and from the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. Lord, I don't want to be taken away. And there's a specific meaning of what that actually means. You can't lose your salvation. But there's a meaning of what he's saying in, in that passage but the fact of the matter is, I want the blessings. I don't want anything taken away. And we ought to read the revelation so that we come to understand it and rightly divide the word of truth because we want to be blessed. God promises a blessing as well as a warning. There's another reason, number four, why we should read the revelation and study the revelation. That is that revelation can help us to persevere in our trials. Revelation can help us persevere in our trials. When this book is being written, uh, Domitian is the Roman emperor, and Domitian was brutal to Christians. Uh, his persecution against them, using them like torches in his garden to light up the garden, are some of the kind of things that Domitian did to believers. 
And the revelation was written as a reminder to Christians it may look like that Domitian is going to win this battle, but the reality is Jesus has already won the battle. And you may have to go through some persecution, and you may have to go through some tough times, but understand you're already on the winning side because you're a child of the living God. And so we study the revelation because it helps us to persevere in our trials. We're reminded, you know what? This world is not my home. This, I, I'm passing through. I, I am a pilgrim in this world. I'm not supposed to put my roots down too deeply in this world because I'm not going to live here forever. I'm going to live with Jesus in heaven. I'm going to be in the new heaven, in the new earth. That's where my ultimate destiny is. And that's why John says that we're not to love the world or the things that are in the world because those things are all passing away. What's going to be permanent is that new heaven and that new earth that the Lord has promised that he would give to his children. The next reason why we should study the revelation is because God's details, God's details about the future are given to us in revelation. And that's what everybody's interested about. God's details about the future are given to us in the revelation. More than 85% of the revelation concerns future events. Did you get that percentage? More than 85% of the revelation concerns future events. That's chapters 4 to 22. Concerns um, future events. Are you interested in the future? Do you want to know what God's planning to do? Do you want to be able to look at things that are going on around you and say, how does all this fit into this overall plan that God is at work doing? By the way, one of the reasons I know as a, a, a theologian of some measure, I'm not a scholarly theologian, but as a theologian, a pastor, that this earth cannot be destroyed by mankind... I know that because the Bible says there's a day coming when Jesus will do that himself. It must therefore exist for him to be able to do that. Should we be good caretakers of the earth that God's given to us? Should we be good stewards of it? Absolutely. That's what he put Adam and Eve in the garden to do. And they sinned against him and they failed. But the fact of the matter is that in the future, we're going to be living in a perfect world, a utopia, um, a new heaven and a new earth. And the, the book of Revelation gives us knowledge and understanding about the future. And people are interested in the future. Have you figured out the, down here on Route 60, the, I don't know if it's a man or a woman who's the palm reader. Why do people go to a palm reader? They want to know the future, right? Uh, you know, why do they go to a seance, you know, and sit around a, a crystal ball and, then, you know, and listening for somebody to speak out of the darkness? Why? Because they want to know the future. The book of Revelation tells you about the future. And you ought to study it because you want to know about the future that God has revealed to us. Another reason you should study the Revelation is because Revelation prompts us to look for his coming. The one thing you'll find is that the revelation reminds us again and again that Jesus is coming. Do you believe Jesus is coming? Yes. He's coming in two parts. He's coming, first of all, for his church. When the trumpet sounds, 
Those of us who are believers in Jesus, a part of the church, will be caught out of this world into his presence, and we'll read about the tribulation that takes place on earth while we are gone. But then Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation, and there is a war like no other war has ever been. Israel at the center of that war. You're watching Hamas. You're watching the rockets. You're watching the unrest. You're watching Netanyahu about to get voted out over there as prime minister. And you're wondering, what all is going on? Well, there's going to be a day when Israel, at the, right, at the core of all that God is doing in a war unlike any war, will rise up against Israel, will rise up against God, and with the sword in his mouth, not a literal physical sword, with the word that he speaks, he'll destroy his enemy. And they'll be completely defeated. And there'll be a thousand years when Christ rules and reigns on this earth before he creates the new heaven and the new earth. And Revelation prompts us to look up for his coming. Jesus is coming, church. Uh, and it couldn't, it's not too soon for me if today were the day. By the way, he's coming in the clouds. I went outside. I was coming up from the student ministry building. There's lots of clouds outside. So it's, the stage is set. Listen to Revelation 22, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. You know what the Bible says to those of us who are looking for and longing for the coming of Jesus? It says that there'll be a reward. There'll be a crown that is given, the crown of righteousness to all who loved his appearing. And Revelation reminds us that Jesus is coming in. And then finally, we should study the Revelation because the Revelation can show the need for a Savior. This is not the end of our study tonight, just the last of these seven reasons. Revelation can show the need for a Savior. When you read through the Revelation and you rightly understand what it says and you believe that it is God's word to mankind about what he's going to do yet in the future, in a future day yet to come, it strikes conviction in your heart that I need the Savior. You don't want to be here during the tribulation. You don't want to be here during the 21 judgments that come from God. You don't want to be here to see the Antichrist. You don't want to be here... Uh, to have to endure the false prophet. You don't want to have to be here for those events that are cataclysmic. I'm talking about, you, we, nobody in this world has ever seen events like it'll take place that are revealed in the revelation during the tribulation. Nobody has ever seen events like that. A world war, even with atomic weapons, wouldn't, wouldn't be what it will be like. I mean, it's, it's going to be so shocking what takes place. And when you read that, it ought to be a reminder that you need the Savior. You need to know Jesus Christ. Revelation 22, verse 7 offers the last invitation in the Bible. Revelation 22, 7, the last invitation in the Bible. Listen to it. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Behold, I am coming quickly. And he reminds us that we need the Savior. And so those are seven reasons why we ought to study the Revelation. You know, since I wrote those, I can think of some other ones that could be added to it. Actually, you could keep on thinking of reasons. 
But those are seven good reasons why we should study the Revelation. So let's talk a little bit as we continue the introduction. Let's talk a little bit more about the Revelation. Who is the author of the Revelation? We'll look at Revelation chapter 1 and look at verse 9. Revelation chapter 1 verse 9. I, John both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Who was the author of the revelation? It was John. John is the last of the living apostles. It's at the end of the first century. It's somewhere around AD 95 or 96. All of the other apostles have long since lost their lives as martyrs, at least tradition says for some of them. Others, we have the record of it. They died as martyrs for the cause of Jesus. One tradition says that they put John in a boiling pot of oil, but it didn't kill him. They banished him to the Isle of Patmos. It was a place where you sent political prisoners It's an island that's located 40 miles southwest of modern-day Turkey in the Aegean Sea. It's an area of the world that was called Asia in the first century. It was also known as Asia Minor. That island consists of 14 square miles of land. It belongs today, as I said, to Greece. It's one of the Dodecanese Islands. And he was banished out to that island. And on that island, there is the Cave of the Apocalypse, And it's in that cave that they believe that John received the revelation from God that's the last book in our Bible. And today, if you were to go to that place, you would find that there's a monastery that's built on that place or built at that place, and it bears his name, St. John the Theologian. John is the author of this book. He's writing it during the reign of, of Domitian, In all of the persecution against Christians, he himself has been persecuted, the last of the living apostles, and banished out here to Patmos. And while he's out there, God gives him the revelation. By the way, can we just stop here and make something practical? Sometimes the most desperate circumstances in our lives, God is setting us up to hear from him in ways that we would never have heard from him any other way. What if John hadn't been banished to the Isle of Patmos? What if he hadn't been persecuted? He had been, he had been serving in Ephesus. Let me turn my phone off. I thought my phone was off. Uh, I, John, uh, what if John hadn't got to the Isle of Patmos? What, what if, if John hadn't been there to receive the revelation? He had been ministering in Ephesus. Ephesus. When he's released from Patmos, he goes back to Ephesus for a period of time, though he's a very old man at that point. Goes back to Ephesus for a little while until he dies. What if he hadn't been out there? You know, sometimes in the darkest moments of our life when we think that God has abandoned us is the very moment when God wants to speak to us in ways that we would never have heard him if we weren't in those circumstances. And John was out here on that island when God gave him the revelation. And aren't you thankful, thankful that we have it in our Bibles? Amen? Amen? Aren't you thankful that we have it to be able to read and we have a foreknowledge of what is going to happen, what is going to occur? And so that has to do with the date and the authorship of the book. There's a number of different methods of interpreting the revelation. Um, I'm not going to get into great detail here. There's the allegorical method. It looks at the book 
as though it's fictional and it merely contains moral applications. And there'll be people who interpret the Bible in that fashion. There are commentaries that I have in my library that are, that are used in interpreting the revelation in that fashion. There's a preterist method of interpreting uh, the, the revelation. It's a method that assumes that the book describes the early church conflicts that were already fulfilled. In AD 70, for instance, when there, when there was the destruction of the temple, it looks at the revelation as already completed. This is past history. It's already happened. It's already occurred. And if this is the new heaven and the new earth, I'm not real impressed, right? There's that preterist method. There's the historical method. It's the method that assumes that the book describes periods of church history beginning with the inception of the church and continuing till Christ's second coming. There's a lot of discrepancy as to how you divide up the periods of history. But there are those who interpret the Bible in that way. I don't view any of those as being the correct way to interpret the book. I think the right way to interpret the book is through what I call or what is called the futuristic method. This method assumes that almost everything recorded here, almost, not everything, almost everything recorded here has yet to occur. There are some historical details that are given to us, especially in the first three chapters. But beyond those three chapters, you begin to look at things that are yet to occur, that have not yet occur, and they're going to occur. It's future tense. There are some prophecy scholars that think that the seven churches refer to the history of the church. There's the different churches that ends up with the Laodicean church, and the Laodicean church is the way the church will be right before Jesus comes and the, and the uh, tribulation begins. And that may be true. We can't say that for certain. But I believe when you look at this book and you come to an understanding of this book, the best way to understand the book is to see it as future events that are yet to occur, future events that are yet to come. And I detail some of that in this book. I'm not going to go through all of those details. I, I should tell you, by way of my interpreting the book, that, that I'm a premillennial, pre-tribulational uh, uh, believer. I believe that Jesus is coming before the millennial reign. I believe that he's coming for his church before the tribulation. And I believe the right interpretation of the revelation requires that kind of an approach. Otherwise, the symbols are very hard to interpret. But if you understand that Jesus is coming before the tribulation for his church, and then he's coming before the kingdom of a thousand years, then all of a sudden the symbols aren't just, you know, ethereal kinds of symbols that are out there in, in, you know, in the distance. They're actually concrete, they have concrete meanings for us to understand. And so I take the futuristic approach to studying uh, this book and interpreting this book. I take it from a premillennial, pre-tribulational theology uh, point of view, and you should just understand that I'm not a post-millennialist. I don't think we're going to live through the coming of Jesus. We're going to, you know, the world's going to get better and better and better and better and better, and then Jesus is going to show up, and we're going to celebrate him. I don't think the Revelation teaches that. So let me give you one last thing tonight before we finish and that is an outline of the revelation. I don't know if we can get that on the screens or not. Yeah, there we go. A rev, an outline. You say, wow, pastor, you are really, you are really sharp. 
Yeah, I'm as sharp as the revelation is because Jesus gives us the outline of the book in verse 19, chapter 1, verse 19. He says, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will, be, which will take place after this. There you go. Write the things which you've seen. That's chapter, that's chapter 1. The things which are, that's chapters 2 and 3. And the things which will take place after this, that's chapter 4 and on. And I've broken it down here for you, the major divisions of Revelation. In chapter 1, you get a vision of Christ. In chapters 2 and 3, you get the seven churches of Asia that he writes to. But then you move into the future. From chapter 4 to chapter, 20, to chapter 19, chapter 4 to 12, you get the throne in the book. You get the seal judgment, the trumpet judgments, the holy conflicts. Chapters 13 to 19, you get the beasts, uh, the bowl judgments, and the fall of Babylon. And when you get to chapters 19 to 22, you get the return of Christ, a thousand-year reign, the final judgments, and then the new heaven and the new earth. And that'll be up again next time I teach. So if you don't get it all written down this time, You'll get it next time, and you can continue filling in the details. So let me bring this to a close. That's just an introduction to the book of Revelation. Next time we get together, we will start in chapter 1, verse 1. And here's what I'm asking you to do. Would you go ahead and be reading between now and the 27th, the first three chapters of the Revelation, and just read it again and again and again? We will not read every verse of the Revelation. But I will try to make sure that I give you an understanding of, the, of most of the verses of the Revelation from a pre-tribulational, pre-millennial perspective and interpretation of the book. But I want you to go ahead and begin reading chapters 1 to 3 because that's where we're going to spend our time in the next couple of uh, sessions when I'm teaching from the Revelation in chapter 1 to chapter 3. Chapter 1 is a vision of Jesus. Chapters 2 and 3 are the seven churches that receive the revelation that God gives to John. And go ahead and be reading ahead and make sure you know those truths. Let me finish by asking you a question. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Um, if you don't, tonight's the night. Those of you that are watching us uh, live stream, maybe somebody invited you to watch us live stream. You thought this ought to be interesting. And uh, you don't know Jesus. Tonight's the night for you to say, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. I'm glad to be able to tell you that when Jesus comes, I'm, I'm gone. Um, I wonder how many of you will still be sitting here. Hopefully nobody. Prayerfully nobody. But I, I wonder how many on a Sunday will be sitting in the auditorium of churches when the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ rise and those of us that are alive at that moment are caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, I wonder how many will be left sitting in the pews. I wonder how many preachers will be left standing in the pulpits. You prepare for that day by receiving Jesus as your Savior. And being a child of the living God, trusting him as your Savior.